Abolition. Abolition. Greetings to all the champions of justice and equality with the Abolish Slavery National Network. I'm Oregon Senator Jeff Merkley, and I applaud each and every one of you for coming together to fight to finish the work that was begun so long ago to abolish slavery in America once and for all. Generations of Americans have been taught to believe that slavery in our nation ended with the 13th Amendment. We all know that, unfortunately, however, that wasn't the case. Fourteen critical words in that amendment, the slavery loophole, allowed this horrific institution to endure right up to this very day, 156 years later. Those words are neither slavery nor involuntary servitude, except as a punishment for crime whereof the party shall have been duly convicted, shall exist within the United States. Those 14 words allowed white-led governments in the southern United States to arrest black Americans for the crime of being black and rent those black Americans back out as slaves. The slavery clause perpetuated slavery and all the damage that went with it, subjecting those re-enslaved to the most dangerous and deadly working conditions, subjecting them to the master's whip. The clause continued to rob black Americans of their freedom, to tear black parents away from their children, to destroy the finances of black families, to inflict harm in every horrific manner in a way that has reverberated down through generations. Even today as I speak, the slavery clause allows prisons to rent out those serving sentences for public and private profit. No clause in our Constitution more embodies systemic racism than this one, and it is far past time that we remove it once and for all and end slavery in America. That is the battle that I'm waging at the federal level. I'm introducing a constitutional amendment to correct this wrong. But it won't be an easy fight, and it will not be quickly over. But we know we have to fight this fight in every place we can, not just the floor of the Senate. Too many state constitutions contain the same language. 21 states, in fact. And the people need to know about that and that's why your efforts to educate people across the country about this ongoing blight is so critical to the efforts I'm leading in Congress. In 2018, you all successfully amended Colorado's Constitution to remove their slavery clause. And you helped accomplish the same last year in Nebraska and in Utah. You are on the front lines of this movement, making a difference for Americans everywhere, helping to shine a bright light on this dark side of our Constitution. Keep up the great work, because together, I know that we will succeed in finishing the work that we began so long ago, abolishing the slavery clause and slavery in America once and for all.
You just heard U.S. Senator from Oregon Jeff Berkeley's speech on the need for abolition of slavery from the U.S. Constitution and his acknowledgement of the tremendous work of the Abolished Slavery National Network. This was followed up by John Legend's Glory. Peace and welcome to Abolition Today, a weekly syndicated online program with a specific focus on modern slavery as it is practiced through the 13th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution and by for-profit prisons worldwide. We air live every Sunday at 7 p.m. Eastern, 6 Central, and 4 Pacific. Live streams and archived podcasts are available at abolitiontoday.org. My name is Yusuf Hassan. I'm joined by my co-host, Max Parthas. Peace, Max. Peace, Brother Yusuf. Hey, let me say real quick, happy Valentine's Day to my beautiful wife, (laughs) Tribal Rain. I haven't said it all day long. I was waiting for right now. To let her know that she's got the only heart of mine that matters. Mm. Love you, baby. <laughs> I'm here Ooh. at the uh, Paul Cuffey Abolitionist Center in Sumter, South Carolina, as always. Man, we could end the show right there. <laughs> 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 and I'll say uh, happy Valentine's Day to, uh, I'm not even sure if she's listening this evening, uh, but yeah, special someone. Happy Valentine's Day to her, and happy Valentine's Day to all of the uh, to all the lovers out there. So, last week, uh, Max, you and I discussed the insurrection, and we also discussed how slavery abolitionists have been uh, kicking ass, or <clears throat> I mean, taking liberties and getting legislation passed and having slavery exception clauses removed from state constitutions across the country, just as. Uh, Senator Merkley was just mentioning in his speech. Well, this week, we're going to discuss parts of the solution with our focus being on the systems, not the symptoms. So uh, on February 9th, which was this past Tuesday, over Zoom, the Abolished Slavery National Network held its uh, first quarterly meeting of the year, which was attended by dignitaries and representatives nationwide. It was an epic and historic moment in U.S. history that indicated a coming paradigm shift. Tonight, we'll share highlights from the event with abolitionist speeches by, as you just heard, Oregon State Senator Jeff Merkley, California Assembly Member Sidney Kalmlager, and Her Majesty the Queen Mother of Benin. Uh, I'll leave the pronunciation of her name to you, Max. Uh, I'm not even going to try it. It is Her Majesty Queen Mother De Wolfe De Seer Who Know Who Now The Second Gwele. Oh, that's awesome, man. You you really <laughs> got it. You really got it. And she's I also representing the United Nations. Mm-hmm. So, of course, we've got some dope music, some spoken word, and the voices of the ancestors reclaimed without bridging the gap segment. So, uh, let's take this journey, Max. Tell us what you think about the opening clip. Dude, every time I heard it, I get all emotional. He was channeling JFK in there through through that, you know, like right. Uh, it, he was he was on point. He wasn't pulling no punches, saying it loud and clear exactly what we're dealing with, what the root cause of it, and as today uh, title uh, implies, parts of the solution. He was providing a part of the solution, which is to end slavery. If it's legal, why the hell? Would we not want to make it illegal? Do you think that in any universe that no one would take advantage of such a loophole? <laughs> like, it's already been taken advantage of. That's why we're here now. That's why America is going through the pains that she's going through now, because we never stopped with the slavery. 
Absolutely. And he gave, you know, some of the history and especially how it applies to black America. I mean, we can't get around that. You know, I know Hillary Clinton loves to beat her drum of talking about unintended quenches, but we know that that's all, uh, and we're a PG-13 show, so I'm not going to say it the way I really want to say it, but we all know that that's BS, you know, that everything that happened from the execution of the 13th Amendment with this exception clause was intended. It was intentional. Everything that's happened since then, right up until this very moment. So it was no mistake. No mistake at all. And, you know, I got to, I have to say that I have a, a sense of pride about hearing Senator Merkley say that, as you and I discussed off the air, uh, both of us are founding members of the Abolish Slavery National Network, you know, and we started right. with some very humble beginnings before we got to this point. And the people who are listening, especially those like Sharon and Jeanette and the rest who always listening to the program have watched this thing unfold right. over the past uh, year and some odd months. And, and it's beautiful to come here today have a state senator say, whoop, there it is. Exactly what they're right. saying. And these people are on the front line trying to get freedom for everybody, doing what the ancestors would want to do, making them proud. It, yeah, it was beautiful, man. It was beautiful. Yeah, uh, it, it really all was. all the founders. Everybody that's helped put this thing together. Shout out to all of y'all. Y- y'all are superheroes. Absolutely. And that's one of my favorite speeches of the year so far, right there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It, it really is, and uh, just looking at the exponential growth, I mean, of course, when we set out on that mission, especially, you know, all, those of us who, you know, were part of the founding of the Abolished Slavery National Network, we came from different avenues, you know, it was different movements of people coming together, forming this national network, and we said, okay, we're going to put our efforts in it. We had no idea where it was going to go. And I mean, within a matter of weeks, <laughs> you know, we were already getting uh, exception clauses removed from constitutions, you know, through the voting <laughs> process. And, you know, and now here we're all the way out reach, you know, the bill is already on the Senate floor for Amendment 28 to remove and uh, repeal and replace the uh, exception clause of the 13th Amendment of the United States. And I don't even know what the current number is, Max, of what you guys uh, are doing. Go ahead. Oh, yeah. That that in itself was something that is mind-blowing because, you know, during the meeting we had, of course, uh, Senator Merkley speak, and his office was also represented. Uh, We had the ASNN uh, core members that were speaking there. Uh, We had – the Queen Mother came and she uh, dropped some some information and knowledge and some questions on us that we'll hear here tonight. Uh, mm-hmm. Then each of the states, the eleven states, <laughs> let me say it a little louder. Eleven right. states, y'all. There's eleven states that have legislation already in play, whether it be uh, for them to have a voter initiative, a ballot initiative, or something that they have to pass through the House and the Senate. However it works, they've got a, it's eleven of them, and all of them had representatives speak. Uh, some uh, council members, some assembly members, uh, state representatives, and on at that meeting, uh, Representative Sandra Hollins, which is also who's also a founding member of the ASNN out of Utah, right? Uh, right. She offered everybody uh, to join what she has started to form on, on, you know, as part of ASNN is a political caucus of abolitionists, um, and there were enough of them there to really 
man. It was epic. I'm just saying it was freaking right. epic. Everything that rolled out like that. It was beautiful to see. You know, like this is where we're at right now. The change is here. When you can see it on the horizon, it's like the door is wide open and the light is bright. You ain't got to do but nothing but walk through now. <laughs> you know? Absolutely. I mean, we started even, you know, having uh, Mark Charles run for president on the abolitionist platform. You know, so we're already seeing how far this can go, you know, where we can end up having an abolitionist party, you know, Dude. where – Mark was there. Go on, brother. <laughs> Mark right. Charles was there. We had our presidential candidate in the house. That was right. awesome that he took the invitation that he came through. So he ran for president in 2020. He's Native, Native American, Navajo Nation out of D.C., a dual citizenship, both Navajo and American. And he's a slavery abolitionist and, and an author. You know, but he was there for sure. And he was on 38 states' ballots, too, at least for write-ins as well. Right. Yeah, it's just it's it's tremendous. And again, this was only in what what are we at six months now? Are we even at the six month point yet? We're, well, from the started, formation of the of the organization, we we launched August twenty eighth. Yeah, we was working together a few months before that, but the official launch was August twenty eighth. So right. August twenty eighth is when we we launched the website and said, okay, world, here we are. And then we stepped out, saying, boom. We got bills to remove slavery in Utah. Boom. We got bills to remove slavery in Nebraska. Boom. We got five other amendments that we're working on that will help people to get their voting rights back, change states' names, and uh, you know, reduce sentences and get rid of three strike. It was just beautiful to see it, man. We was working that and came out like monsters, and and that was right. You know, that was the plan. So here we are today, just having that quarterly, and that was mind blowing. And and that just uh, reminds me that in two weeks, so we'll we'll reach the six month uh, anniversary, so to speak, of our uh, launch from August twenty eighth. You know, February twenty eighth will make exactly six months. And like I said, we've had tremendous progress already. You know, so I'll you know it, it's it's so much that we can do going from there. You know, an old time old friend of mine from back in the founding of PD is listening, Robert Hall. Shout out to Robert Hall, and he sent me a message saying, "Mad love." Uh, he's listening, and that slavery is so far into the life we live right now, and the mental state of our people—it's atrocious and filled with folks still sleeping and controlled like mindless sheep. Well, you know, you're right, brother. It's an indoctrination mm-hmm. system to make you believe that slavery isn't is done, that it's over, and we all believe that forever. <laughs> Right, you know, but the, as you said in the beginning, you said it was intentional when they put the Thirteenth Amendment in there. It was intentional with that exception clause, and I did the research personally to to make sure I knew it was intentional. So trace right. the Thirteenth Amendment back from 1865 to its origins in 1777. I also uh, documented how they influenced Britain and London, where London started sending people over here <laughs> after they saw this Constitution of Vermont. Uh, they started, you know, their criminals, they would give them death or traveling. And traveling meant going to the states, the, to the new world, and uh, becoming an indentured servant. So they started building prisons here in, in, in what was the colonies then, while they only had two in London. Just two prisons in London. Everybody else came to America as a slave or an indentured servant. But that was a different kind of slavery, as we all know, indentured servitude. Of course. During that period, 
usually you ended up with a little bit of land at the end of seven years or, or however long you were sentenced for. Uh, you were treated more humanely. You were given, you know, food to eat, place to live, and all of that stuff. And you weren't literally property. You were more indebted to the person, debtor's prison type. And and you got out. It wasn't for your whole life either. <laughs> you got out. But anyway, we traced it from 777 all the way back to 1865. We knew it was intentional. And we really confirmed that when we found out that Lincoln, President Abraham Lincoln, put that very same exception into the Washington, D.C. Uh, state charter with the same language in it. Like he offered the language to put it in there. And that was in 1861. Right. So he knew what was coming ahead. That was why he was so quick to put it in there. And most of us couldn't read. So it was like, slavery's over? All righty then. <laughs> right. You know? Right. And then they began the convict leasing. They began the chain gangs. They began the black codes and the pig laws and the vagrancy laws and anything they could do to criminalize uh, people of African and Native descent so that they could use them as slave labor in this convict leasing scheme. We talked about that in depth with one of the representatives out of Texas a couple of days ago with uh, Savannah Eldridge, Sister Savannah. And, mm-hmm. uh, Shout out to Savannah. Shout out to Savannah. It's awesome, man. Uh, anyway, I don't want to get on a tangent. I want to give a big, <laughs> a big. Go ahead. No, you great. Give give someone a call out. Who are you calling out? Yes, I just want to give a big thank you to Senator Jeff Merkley and also uh, the senator from Vermont, of course, Bernie Sanders, who is co-author of that uh, res- joint resolution from the House and the Senate. It's going to be resubmitted around May. And uh, then we're going to push to get it done uh, as soon as possible. So we could be looking at this thing right around the corner happening, something we never dreamt of a year or three years ago, you know? Right. And the only thing I was going to add to what you just said was when it came to the how the court dealt with the 13th Amendment. And we can go all the way back to uh, the case that really set precedent in 1873, the slaughterhouse cases. Uh, out of Louisiana, and I mean, the Supreme Court basically said, you know, they they went straight to uh, Section 2 of the 13th Amendment, where, you know, it's basically saying uh, Congress has the power to, you know, to enact Section 1, and the court was always saying, well, you know, we want to do something about it, but this is within the realm of Congress. Congress has the authority to do something about this. And they kept saying, Congress has something to do about it. And over the years, over the years, all the way up until recently, that's always been the ruling. And thankfully, we have Senator Jeff Merkley, and I don't recall his co-sponsor. I know uh, Senator Sanders, Bernie Sanders is one of them. It's someone else who's a co-sponsor on that. Right. And, uh, yeah, so now Congress is finally going to do something about it. The courts have been telling them to do something about it, you know, for over 150 years, but now they're going to finally do something about it. So that's all I wanted to add to that, Max. Well, you know, it's also supported by the Virginia Supreme Court, uh, Ruffin versus Commonwealth, that stated that prisoners are what? Slaves of the state. Right. Um, And you become that the moment you're affected by the 13th Amendment. And how are you affected by the 13th Amendment? Because it's not a judge that says... Bam, you're affected by the 13th Amendment. That's right. not how it works. There's, there's a click moment, and the click moment mm-hmm. is when you're duly convicted. That's it. Right. It doesn't matter what you did, what you're convicted right. of, you just got to be duly convicted. 
and then you become property of the state. And not just in most states, not just until you get out for the rest of your life, you carry these shackles around uh, with you where you can't vote. Like six million people can't vote right now because of felony disenfranchisement, right. you know. Uh, and that's not counting the people that's in prison. <laughs> you know, just the ones that are out of prison can't vote. But there's another 2.3 million in prison that can't vote. You know, uh, right. so you carry these shackles for the rest of your life. Uh, and there's no no provision in the Constitution that says after you've served your time, this amendment no longer applies to you. It doesn't say that. Right. Right. No way to re-enfranchise you so once you've it, been so- disenfranchised. That's right. That's right. Some states, uh, by choice, let people vote as soon as they get out. I think Vermont, Maine, and uh, one other one, I'm not sure at this point. But a few states do that, but most of them don't. Or you have to get special permission from the governor, all of these different things. And it disenfranchises people. They have no voice in politics now. It's basically taxation without representation to millions of people. You know, you're paying taxes. Right. Uh, you've served your time. And your taxes, uh, which are supposed to be your, you know, participation in this system, are not reflected through representation. So there's nobody. You're paying for cops to arrest you. You're paying for politicians not to care what you say. Absolutely. I'm not sure this. We're going to need some constitutional lawyers to come on and really speak with us about this, and, and we're setting that up. But I think that once you get your rights back, once that amendment is gone and immediately now your constitutional rights apply to you, just uh, putting aside the fact that you may have to have some serious negotiations about the Second Amendment, <laughs> you know what I mean, with prisoners, but your voting <laughs> rights should be returned. Like at some point, they should even have voting booths in the prisons themselves where the prisoners get a chance to, to vote while they're behind bars. Wouldn't that change? The uh, face of things in this country. It know? absolutely would, and in fact, I, I believe it was uh, maybe two weeks ago. You and I uh, mentioned an article, and I believe it's in Oregon where they're pursuing that—that that they're going to extend the voting rights to those incarcerated. And so, you know, we'll follow up on that as over time. And yeah, that that would dramatically change things. Yes, dramatically change things. And that's just one of the immediate changes that would happen. But, you know, also there's ripple effects that have got to occur. As we we have 30 states involved in abolition in three stages. So you, we have states that have already abolished slavery, which is historic, never mm-hmm. happened before. Then you have right. states, as I mentioned, for the 11, who have legislation between 21 and 2022. And then you have 15 other states that are organizing. The only thing that they don't have at this point is the team up of the legislation and the grassroots. So we're helping them to get that done so that they'll be on the 2022 ballot. So it's potential. There's a potential that we could have 15, like 19 states all on the 2022 ballot. (laughs) Like mind blowing, right? Yeah. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) At the same time that we have a joint resolution on the federal level. And that's got to cause some conversations because we, for instance, believe that it is absolutely necessary to have congressional hearings on the 13th Amendment and its effects on the United States since 1865. We really need to unpack this thing and and unwrap it. It's been ignored for so long and become such a standard part of society that when crimes against humanity are happening right in your face, 
you don't even recognize it. You know what I mean? <laughs> People are just disappearing exactly. and dying left and right. And you're like, well, I guess we must have did something wrong, huh? <laughs> you know? No. Right. And when, it, and when it comes to, you know, one of the most often symptoms that people like to bring up when we want to start talking reparations, I mean, before you can even get reparations, it, you, it first has the, – the wrong has to be righted, and then we have to present the proof. Here's the proof for the need for reparations. So even that has to be done. You know, that, that gets brought up a lot, and – you know, it's just very necessary for us to be doing what we're doing in the states because it's going to come time for the Senate to vote on it. You know, we're going to need that Senate vote. And in order to have that Senate vote and that congressional vote, the people in the states have to already be involved. So if it's passing the legislation in the states, then that's going to carry over into Congress and you know, we'll see it pass both houses of Congress and eventually lead to the 20th Amendment. And I'm just hoping and praying it happens in our lifetimes, Max. Well, imagine me putting my little pinky next to the side of my lip and going, that was my plan to take over yeah. the world anyway. <laughs> my evil plan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, you know, uh, we have thought about a lot of this stuff on the long term and where we want to be. In a year, where we want to be in two years, where we want to be in four years. And these are the signposts that we use as we move forward. And then we set mm-hmm. into play things that are going to occur in advance. So we set them up like the, the November voting. So now we got to work towards November to do all the things to make that uh, happen successfully like we did in 2020. So it is a well-thought-out strategy, and there is a long-term uh, vision to it all, but we're working it strategically and that is let's just do the first things first slavery is in, uh, is is legal in america that is undoubtedly right. it's it's a fact slavery is legal in america let's make it illegal and we can work from there right <laughs> like who wants to stand exactly. up and say no i don't want to do that which one of you senators would like to stand on the floor and explain to the world why you think we should have slavery in our constitution for a punishment for crime. Go ahead and explain that to us. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't know the way Mitch McConnell and Lady G operate. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, this. Yeah, but uh, so, but Max, I'm ready to hear the Queen. I'm ready yes. for the Queen. Yes, me too, brother. And uh, brother Rob, he is texting me over there. Like he's so into the program right now. I would like to invite you and other people if you want to call in. After we listen to the Queen, uh, the number is 515-605-9814, 515-605-9814. Remember to press the number one on your keypad so that we know you have a question or a comment. All right, so this was a speech that uh, she sent to us um, for the event on February the 9th, the ASNN quarterly uh, national meeting, and we're about to listen to Her Majesty. Queen Mother, Dewoti Desir, Huna the second Gawele. And she is going to be speaking as a representative of the United Nations, as well as a member of the ASNN. We'll be right back after this. Abolition. Abolition. Today. Hello, this Today. is Today. Majesty Queen Mother, Dewoti Desir, Huna Huna the second Gawele. I'm speaking to you from Lome, Togo. 
I observe all protocols as I thank and acknowledge those who invited me to the Abolish Slavery National Network quarterly meeting, especially Max and Kamal, but also fellow speakers, legislators, committed activists, and audience members. As a 4,000-year-old phenomenon, slavery is as old as human existence. Globally, there are around 46 million human beings enslaved. And it's important to recognize that they are enslaved and not simply slaves, which not only contributes to their dehumanization, but also fails to recognize that all human beings are born free. My remarks come uh, from an international perspective, which supports the arguments being made today that view penal servitude as a new incarnation of slavery. The International Labor Office, which I consulted four years ago, has data that notes that within this number, this 46 million, we have 22% of today's enslaved population in the sex industry. Recognizing the number of those enslaved in penal systems is a more complex and messy political determination to make. According to another organization, Free the Slaves, slavery generates $150 billion, $150 billion. In the United States of America alone, it generates at least $74 billion. And that's more than the gross domestic product of most African countries. Again, what percentage makes up um, the the, the penal uh, population globally is uncertain. I share this information as a means of providing context to the ensuing conversation around abolition. Abolitionists are people who favor the the, uh, abolition of any law or practice deemed harmful to society. And I want to note that there are abolitionists working in Benin, in Mali, Cote d'Ivoire, Ghana, Nigeria, elsewhere on the African continent, as well as in Europe, the Caribbean, and of course the United States, with every fiber of their being to put an end to this scourge. In the U.S., the 13th Amendment in particular is at the heart of the issue. African descendants in the U.S. make up 4% of the world's population, but 22% of its imprisoned population. Mass incarceration, excessive punishment, and the exploitation and gross consumption of social, political, and economic space of African descendants in particular is the essence of enslavement. Our intersectional approach to fighting racism has been the norm in fighting for victims in the human rights community. And while not always specifically referred to, the incarcerated community, like caste members, need to be aware of the international legal instruments that impact regional, national, and local laws. This information is not always disseminated as it should be, so vigilance is required. And because of the brevity of the time allotted, um, I want to refer largely to the Durban Declaration and Program of Action, which is the outcome document of the 2001 UN World Conference Against Racism, the WCAR, which took place in Durban, South Africa. In the very first section of the Durban Declaration, also known as the DDPA, 
following its introductory passages entitled Sources, Causes, Forms, and Contemporary Manifestations of Racism, Racial Discrimination, Xenophobia, and Related Intolerance, it states in Article 25, we express our profound repudiation of the racism, racial discrimination, xenophobia, and related intolerance that persists in some states in the functioning of the penal systems and in the application of the laws, as well as the actions and attitudes of institutions and individuals responsible for the law enforcement, especially where this has contributed to certain groups being overrepresented among persons under detention or imprisoned. Article 29 expresses the following. We strongly condemn the fact that slavery and slavery-like practices still exist today in parts of the world and urge states to make immediate measures as a matter of priority to end such practices which constitute flagrant violations of human rights. And finally, Article 30, which concludes the section by stating, we affirm the urgent need to prevent combat and eliminate all forms of trafficking in the persons, in particular women and children, and recognize that victims of trafficking are particularly exposed to racism, racial discrimination, xenophobia, and related intolerance. Now, among the challenges that we face are the U.S.'s refusal to adhere to certain international conventions, including the DDPA, and the Convention to the Rights of the Child, which addresses racial discrimination, racism, and xenophobia, again, and other forms of intolerance, human trafficking, and enslavement, particularly as it relates to children. This is all done under the pretext of maintaining national autonomy, when in fact all international laws, conventions, treaties, and resolutions recognize the state's sovereignty. In this instance, Government refuses to recognize the sovereignty of the individual to maintain their right and their, their dignity and humanity, even if incarcerated. The lack of adherence and the fragmentation of legislation relating to racial discrimination is an enormous challenge. The U.S. ratified and adheres to CERD, uh, or the Convention of the Elimination of All Forms of Racism, but not the DDPA. And this is an example of the kind of internal inconsistency that leaves questions about the nature of the law, what it prohibits, its penalties, remedies, what reparations are. Thus, consolidation or creation of a consistent, coherent legal framework is called for in abolishing the law against contemporary enslavement especially among Afro-descendants, as this phenomena is related to the historic enslavement of Africans. The DDPA declared the enslavement of Africans as a crime against humanity which should have never occurred. And as an international advisor to the Abolished Slavery National Network, it is this most important endeavor that must be pursued. I ask that all of you participating and listening to this event to please familiarize yourself with the international moral mandate known as the Durban Declaration and Program of Action. It is available on the UN website 
at UN.org. I thank you for your time and your consideration. Abolition. 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 Once again, I want to thank Her Majesty Queen Mother Dorote Desir Hunohuna II Huele. Uh, you blessed us with your words. I also want to thank Sean Darling, who actually facilitated our meeting originally with the Queen Mother. Um, mm-hmm. And I want to also make note that this is the first time that this speech has been heard in its entirety. Uh, we lost connection with her during the program. Uh, when she was speaking then, and then she sent it to me afterwards. So it'll be in our post-production edit uh, of the full event when we finally put it out. But here, special, our abolition today, you got to hear the speech in its entirety. Yusuf? That was tremendous, you know, because, yeah, like you mentioned, with it getting cut off during the – the uh, conference that we just had, I was I was disappointed. I was like, man, you know, I hope she's able to get back in. And it's just so great hearing the entirety of the speech. And you know, I'm already on it. I've looked up the World Conference Against Racism, Racial Discrimination, Xenophobia, and Related Intolerance that was held back on September 8, 2001, in Durban, South Africa. It's 62 pages long, so I'm gonna have to go through and read it and dissect it. And the queen made some really great points. She brought brought forth the facts and the statistics, you know, where it's, she she presented irrefutable evidence, you know, as to the legality of slavery as it relates in the world and the United States and the path to doing away with it. So we definitely thank the queen. Her name is rolling off your tongue better and better every time you say it I'm cheesing I (laughs) cheesed when she came to the program to speak I was cheesing and I'm cheesing right now it's not every day queen calls you out be like yeah I want to thank my man Max and them (laughs) (laughs) yo (laughs) right right (laughs) she is the queen mother of Benin uh, for those that don't know uh, a wonderful place and she was calling she was recording that from uh, Africa South Africa, as well as a member of the ASNF um, and uh, working through the United Nations to help us further this uh, issue, because it's not just a national issue. It's not just America anymore. The world has been adopting this for-profit prison model, and these for-profit prison industries are global monsters outside the U.S. Uh, For instance, as I've mentioned before in the past, but for those who have never heard Mm -hmm. before, there's a company called G4S. G4S is securities and prisons, and, and, and they are the largest private employer on the entire continent of Africa. And they're about to be bought out by another prison company. So it's going to get even bigger. The GEO Group has run prisons in places like Guantanamo when they brought in the Haitian right. immigrants was coming through. And, uh, you know, they run all the prisons in Australia. Uh, they're everywhere, the GEO Group. So these are global monsters. You can find them in some of the worst human rights violations happening on Earth, like out in Haiti in their prisons, uh, you know, uh, and and the horror that they're going through over there. You can find videos of all that we spoke about today, by the way, uh, at the Abolish Slavery National Network website, which is abolishslavery.us, abolishslavery.us. So all that you heard here today is available right there in our video archive. 
Right. Yeah, and I would definitely uh, remind people, especially those who are slavery abolitionists, you know, and if you collect the four, if you're part of a 401k plan, I encourage you all to go check it out because, you know, when we start talking about the GEO group, uh, uh, GEO group and Core Civic, I mean, these companies' stocks are sold on the stock exchange. Many of these companies, like Fidelity and Charles Schwab, and all of these companies, they heavily invest in these companies. You know, so you want to uh, look into it because you may be a slavery abolitionist, but at the same time, you may be collecting a 401k that's investing in prison stocks. So definitely check that out. It's a good idea. Uh, divestment programs is a big thing today. If you're uh, invested in for-profit private prisons, you are literally invested in slavery. It's like buying people now. You know what I mean? Right. You purchase these right. stocks, and you own a little bit of these people over here. And they're all nameless, so it doesn't bother you, right? But that's not how it works. They all have names and stories and lives. And when these prisons can't get filled enough, they just build more and go get more people. It's not that we're becoming more criminal. We're becoming more criminalized. But there's a right. difference. You know, there's a law. We, I remember one district attorney, which is one of the lead DAs in the country, was saying that at any given moment in the United States, there are 150 million people who can be considered committing a crime. Right there and right now, at any given moment, they could get 150 million of us. Right. That's just wrong. And it targets the guilty as well as the innocent. And it's race-based and class-based. And all the statistics and facts point to it. The Queen was telling us that this is directly from slavery. And that in this Durban uh, document that it says right there that if you're focusing on specific groups and races, that that is illegal uh, internationally. But the United States won't follow this or adhere to it claiming national sovereignty. Like, what does that even mean? That sounds like what the South was saying in the Civil War. (laughs) You know? That's exactly what they were saying. Yeah. They, they don't yeah, want make to our own decisions. National criticism, right? Uh, you know, we're overrepresented in the prisons. What part of four percent of the uh, people make up forty percent of the prison population is okay? <laughs> no, no part of that is okay. No part. No part. And it's it's an international problem now that we have to look at as an international problem and seek international help because it's very apparent. Uh, that there's going to be a big fight in the United States. We've been sneaking through this, <laughs> getting to where we're getting. But the prison industry isn't just going to sit by and uh, as we get rid of their cash cow. Right. They're, they, you know, they, they plan so many years ahead. You and I were having the discussion earlier as to how the the number of beds in prisons are determined as early as when individuals at three years old start looking at things like uh, are they reading and math scores dropping below a certain level? You know, what type of home do they come from? Where do they live? What's the uh, financial makeup of their home? So they start making these decisions early on. It just doesn't happen. This is, this is planning. I mean, it's about money. And we hear people talking about financial planning all the time. Well, yes, they make long-term financial plans. This is this is an investment for them, and they want the big thing that anyone that invest in, and that's that return on that investment. So they make that investment early, and they go long on it. 
we got a caller. Let's go ahead and take this caller and see what it is. Uh, one two two five. You're here with us on Abolition today. What's your name? Question or comment? Peace, my brothers. Uh, this is Rob Hall, Max. <laughs> what's happening, brother? Hey, Rob? what's going on, Rob? Thanks for hey, tuning in, brother. Oh, no doubt, man. Um, thank y'all. You know, um, again, I want to just congratulate you guys. Kept getting ready to come up in the six months, man. Y'all doing some beautiful work. I got mad love and respect for what you're saying and what you're doing. First and thank foremost, you, shout thank out you. to you. Thank you. Appreciate that. Um, I'm listening to the conversation, man. It's deep and it's just uh, it's worthy, and it needs to be said and done. And and the thing about it is, uh, brothers, I mean, how do you get the masses to change their minds about what's going on? Unfortunately, um, you know, I talked to Max and I had inboxed him. I said, you know, um, this has been going on for years. And and let me ask you, brothers, this: how how do you try to get the mindset of us to change and to really evolve away from the antics and semantics of what's going on with government and just everything in the world. Well, I would like to say, uh, first of all, do you know the other master class on slavery abolition, modern slavery abolition? You know the other one? You know the name of the other one? Not a fan. Not a fan. No, I'm sorry, brother. Because there ain't no other one. <laughs> this is it. You know what I mean? I'm yeah. laughing because I knew you tricked him, Max. <laughs> so you ask how My man. we provide My man. a master class so you know every in and out of this. No, what's, our slogan is you can never again say that you did not know because we have broken it down for you in every way you can imagine. Every part and particle is uh, in the yeah. conversations. You know what I mean? So the right. education yeah. is there. And then honestly, bro, we it's been 400 years uh-huh. of indoctrination. You ain't going to change that overnight. It may take generations to change right. some minds. But that's when the real revolution mm-hmm. happens. It happens in your mind when you change it, when you start saying, you know, right. this shit, he's, he's right. This is slavery. And they're doing it on purpose. <laughs> you know? And when you yeah. come to that conclusion, yeah. you might go through the five stages of grief because it's so powerful. Like the mm-hmm. betrayal is at such a massive level. It happened to you, your father, mm-hmm. your mothers, your sisters, and, and all of a sudden it clicks and it hurts, you know? But we can Correct. do something about it. Yeah. And so I'd rather have a hundred people that really know how to get some stuff done than a million people just uh-huh. walking around in circles not knowing what they're doing. So we focus Correct. on the people who want to listen, the people who want to learn, the people who want to help, and we're helping to provide them with the tools, the education, the inspiration that is necessary for them moving in that direction. And, and it, as you mm-hmm. can see, it's been so successful the past decade and a half or so of us doing this collectively uh, that the whole world is listening now, at least those who care. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Absolutely. You're here. Absolutely. You know. You got the education, and that changed the world all by itself. Yeah, you know, and, you know, with the platform that, you know, my family has on the other side, because you've been on our, you know, um, show and everything. Always, and, and, yeah. and I tell you, I just appreciate what you guys do, man. Um, it really means a lot because now, and especially with the climate of what's going on in the world, it's very deep, man. And, and people need to be educated. They need to get out and see and open their eyes, man. It's just, uh this is the time. This is the time. Things are changing. Things are really coming to a head. And, it's just, oh, man, this is necessary. I, I spent a lot of time in meetings like with politicians and stuff these days, which is something I really not – I never thought I'd ever be doing because I can't stand politics. Yeah. But, you know, I got to use every tool <laughs> in the shit. 
And I'm finding it all over the country, all over the world, as people become aware of this, it becomes a major priority for them in their lives, as it should be. Uh, And they really get dedicated into doing something about that. And those people are coming Mm -hmm. together. At one point, we were looking for critical mass, but I believe we've already hit critical mass. That's why we're we're at where we're at right now. So it's going to start growing mm-hmm. exponentially, and everybody knows it. They all see it in advance. Like those who are on the inside, like, right. like we, us here, when we talk about 11 yeah. states changing their constitution, dude, that's no little thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Exactly. Monumental. Like what? Yeah, it really is. <laughs> yeah. And, and why are they changing it? To end slavery? Yeah. You mean slavery? Real slavery? Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know mm-hmm. Real talk, and that, real talk. Then you have to look at the prison industry differently, too, because, you know, there were more arrests uh, in 2018 yeah. for personal possession of marijuana than there were for all, all violent crimes combined. That's that's wow. ridiculous. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. ridiculous. Mm-hmm. So they're lining these, they're, they're putting people on these in these prisons like meat on a shelf in Alabama. You're right. They've been violating the Eighth Amendment, the Fourteenth Amendment, human rights violations have been going on for years there. It's all documented. Mm-hmm. The DOJ said, yes, this is true. All of it's happening. The FBI is investigated and all of this. And instead of trying to let anybody go in a facilities that are two hundred percent occupancy, they got three billion dollars mm-hmm. to build more prisons. Three billion dollars. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Three billion dollars. Yeah, these private corp- these private, you know, places and stuff like that, man, it's just all about the dollars. Um, like my man said earlier, you know, it's all about the money. It 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 always had been about the money. And then you have these so called representatives, you know, in politics like these senators and not to try to get off a course, but let's just take what just took place, how um we had mentioned this before as far as staying on code. They allowed this person that inside riots and all of these different things to stand. So it goes to show you where the mindset is and how people think. It's, ne- it's never been for the people. It's about the almighty dollar at the end of the day, man. Yeah, and that's where they want to put my my, my great great grandmama's uh, Harriet Tubman's face on. Like, could you imagine the shame of that? Oh my God! You right. know, when I think of Harriet Tubman on a twenty dollar bill, I imagine a twelve year old girl in Singapore selling her body to some perverted wow. American. For a single Harriet right. Tubman bill, I imagine some guy up on Wall cool. Street rolling up Harriet Tubman and smirking as he's snorting his coke. You know, I imagine wow. uh, somebody laying on the ground dead from a bad drug deal with a Tubman or three laying across his chest with blood on it. Ugh. You know, that's what I think wow. about when I yeah. think about Harriet yeah. Tubman's face on a twenty dollar bill. Mm-hmm. Like, and she would be thinking yeah. about that too. Like, you bought my people for this, and now you want to put my face on it. And you're still buying my yeah. people for this. You're still selling people for yeah. this. When uh-huh. uh, right, what was that? <laughs> In <laughs> Libya, they've got open air. Open air slave auctions after Obama you to know, this day. To this day. To this day. Wow. It, it, it wow. would be very likely that there would be some Americans there buying human bodies with Harriet Tubman's freaking face. Oh. And, and yeah, not to mention that. Uh, yeah. yeah, not to not to mention you know that there was a price on Harriet Tubman's head. <laughs> you know we can't yeah. we can't forget that. You know that. that uh-huh. Yeah, she was wanted dead or alive, and so these same bills, they're going to use them to put her face on it. You know, it's it's wow, definitely wow. A, a slap in our faces and the legacy of Harriet Tubman. Yeah, I'm a modern-day you know, slavery abolitionist, so that's where yeah, I'm coming from with it. I'm, go ahead, brother. I'm sorry. And, 
Yeah, no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry too. I'm um, to interrupt, but unfortunately, you know, they they do what they call throw a bone to black folks and make it seem like, well, we'll try to make up for you know 400 years of such and such of you know oppression, slavery, and these this that and the third, and hope that people will buy off on it. But everybody has to be woke, such as you brothers are illustrating tonight, to stay woke and understand what the whole meaning behind all of this is really about. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. You're right. Harriet Tubman would probably be turning in her grave right now. Like, are you serious? You know what I mean? Are you serious? Like, it's really going to make going to the strip club uncomfortable as hell. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. When, when, yeah, when, when cats make it rain, you're right, bro. Yeah. yeah, it's just going to be uncomfortable as hell. I would never, ever use such a bill. If it came out, I'd never spend a $20 bill again, at least not with her face on it. You know, I just let yeah. the slave catchers stay on those bills. Let the slavers uh, stay on those bills. Let the white supremacists stay on their bills because capitalism is what they built, not what we built, what they built. Right. We were the yeah. capital. They were the capitalists. Don't put us on it. The last time mm. we were on it was prior to the Civil War. Like out in North Carolina, they had bills, five, three, and two dollar bills that had slaves on it holding cotton bales because that's what they valued and it was on their money. Uh, images of us holding mm. a baby in one hand and a cotton uh, bale in the other in a cotton field to say, look how rich we are. We wow. have cotton and Negroes. That's what we value. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Dude, we you know we could go on some rants up in here, bro. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, in order to even dare to say that we're providing a masterclass, we have to do the research, and every week we do it heavily, as much as possible. And I've always believed that every person on this planet is capable of changing the world. And if you put six or a dozen people like that together, the world gonna get changed. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, it's gonna get changed. Oh, Absolutely. I mean, back in the day, they had Martin and Malcolm and many others like that. And uh, they started from the most humble beginnings. Like, Malcolm was in prison, right? Spent time in prison. Right. And look where he ended up. But we ain't trying to make no... We ain't trying to make no, what do they call it, the uh, cult of the personality. We don't want that either, you know? We just want people to wake up. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and that's and I, and I, and that's what makes this uh, slavery abolition movement so great is that we don't have any personalities. You know, there's no uh, charismatic leader. You know that that's out in the front. This is something that's being done by every person. Every person doing what they're good at. You know, it's not about any one individual. You know, right. where we know what prior movements, it was always, okay, if you can just get rid of the leader, then the movement would die off. We saw that help happen uh, with Malcolm and with Martin, you know, and with, uh, we, we can mention so many. We could say Marcus Garvey, you know, we yeah. could say Kennedy. the Panthers, once, you know, once they actually came after, you know, Huey and Bobby Steele, you know, yeah, Chairman Fred, everywhere, yeah. just every time, you know, uh, they were able to get rid of the head. Well, now, I guess we're a multi-headed monster now, and there is no one head that controls the body. Yeah, it's amazing when you stand on the truth, bro. You know, the truth isn't owned by anybody. Anyway, we've got another caller. I want to bring him in. So let's see who we got on the line at 2532. You're on with uh, Yusuf Max and Brother Rob here at Abolition Today. What's up? 
Hi, guys. This is Brandilyn Parks with Kansas Coalition for Sentence and Prison Reform. Hey, Hi there. Hello, How, you Wait, How are you doing? How are you doing? I'm welcome good. I'm good. Uh, Thank what's you. your question or your comment for this evening for us? Well, I'm, I'm in Kansas, obviously, and I have been trying to educate people. Um, to me, this is very obvious that the entire prison system is uh, directly correlated with slavery. And in Kansas, you know the Bible belts, of course, and, mm-hmm. and, a, and a lot of um, racism is hidden. I would rather deal with somebody, you know, tell me who you are, but they don't do that here. They love everybody, of course, and then and there's a lot of of closet racism that goes on. But um, most of my organization is white, and whenever I try to um, teach them about the correlation between um, incarceration and slavery, they close their ears immediately because uh, their person is white. Or um, private industry, we have so many private industry jobs uh, within our prisons, and they get paid. And so they get excited about, well, he gets a job. He, this takes the stress off of me. So um, you know, he, he gets paid $12 an hour. He gets paid $8 an hour to work here. And whenever I try to – this is a – it's an industry, you know, they're making money. And and I try to um, show this by the bills that our legislature passes, um, like they lowered the uh, – they, they lowered the um, – oh, now my brain just stopped. I'm sorry. They lowered the incarceration time for uh, one drug offense and raise it for another, which equaled 80 people out of prison and 80 people back in. And every 20 years, they add, they go through, they create a committee. Right now we have the um, Kansas Criminal Justice Committee that is going in and studying and seeing what they can do to make all the things better. And their, their only answer was to add 200 more beds. And they did the same thing 20 years ago with the three R's committee, you know, so they just every 20 years, they build a new prison. And so my question to you guys is how do I bring the help to Kansas? Because nobody here seems to care. And I can't, um, while I am only one person, they close their ears whenever I try to educate them. And so what would be a good way for me to try to educate the people in Kansas? And there's not a lot of reform in Kansas either. I'm, pretty much on my own with our organization. So um, well, being on your own is really not that difficult nowadays. Uh, I would like to give a shout right. out to Melina Cohen, who mm-hmm. really single-handedly ended slavery in mm-hmm. Nebraska. Uh, you know, she mm-hmm. was having the same issues. She was the only one, but she contacted a legislator. She wrote the bill. She got them to submit the bill. She got involved with the uh, ASNNN and so that we could, help to promote it and get it out there. She did educational, uh, you know, media efforts and, and radio newspaper. And uh, when it was said and done, nearly three quarters of the voting population said, yes, let's get rid of slavery. So, she, you know, shout out to Melina Cohen. She did it never right. by herself. Uh, so it's possible with just you and a few people. Uh, as I said earlier, yeah. it's just a few people can get it done. It's not that difficult. I know that there are activists who are slavery abolitionists in Kansas. Uh, I've been out to Kansas a time and talked to them myself. Uh, I also mm-hmm. have some articles that have been written about them wanting to end slavery in Kansas. I can get you in contact uh, with them. Um, two things that you need to do for me is uh, 
one sign up at the abolition uh these ASN slavery national network. <laughs> yeah. Sign up at the website yep, which I is abolishslavery.us. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then shoot me an email personally at abolitionistcenter at gmail.com. Abolitionistcenter at gmail.com. And I'll introduce you to some of the people in Kansas. Uh, and you guys can start working together. We can add Kansas to the list that it brings us up to 31. <laughs> yeah. That would be huge. Awesome. Huge. Yeah. It would be huge. That would yeah. be nice. You know, and uh, you could sit back and be like, you know, just like with three or four of us and we ended slavery in Kansas. <laughs> right. Know? That would be cool. Yeah, it's awesome. It takes a village, but you just need a few people at the top to be able to get this done. We, And we'll we'll help you make that happen. So thanks for your question. As far as the educational okay. efforts that you were looking for, we've been providing them quite a bit uh, through various Zoom meetings from the ASNN that we're doing all across the country with Abolition Today here. You could always refer them to come here and listen to a, uh, a live broadcast or look through our archive if they're interested in specific aspects of this system. We cover all the different aspects. So you can go through our archives and send a link to someone. Or you can go to the abolishslavery.us website and if you click video resources, we have full libraries that cover everything, you know, so right. you can learn and you can help others to do the same with a five minute video or, you know, a documentary or something like that. Got it. And that would, okay. it, it would be, mm-hmm. it would be so great to have Kansas. That'd be another link in that freedom belt that we have going on right there between Nebraska, Colorado, and Utah. I know, you know right? And, <laughs> Yeah, that would be a great link right there. And 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 Max and I talk about this all the time and the uniqueness of where the states that have already uh replaced their exception clauses. I mean, you would never think Nebraska and Utah. So it's great hearing Kansas calling in. You know, this this was a really great call for me just in in hearing it because we know that the so called uh red states or are going to be the toughest places, but surprisingly, we've already had so much progress in these areas. So definitely thank you for your call. It's been a real, real inspiration to me. Let me know that our work is reaching places where maybe when many of us started out, we weren't even thinking about it reaching these places. Man, I've been out there at John Brown's school and John Brown's um, statue where it was, you know, he had a statue and also, the trail. What's the name of that trail that they had? We used to bring the escaped slaves through in Kansas. Oh, I'm not even sure. I don't know. I do, but yeah, I don't we, know. We was out there just, you know, soaking in the history of Kansas and the uh, Underground Railroad and the fights that John Brown and others like that have had there. It is certainly a part of the abolitionist movement that we'd like to see come back. So oh, the what Freedom Trail. Go? Yeah. yeah, the Freedom Trail. Yeah, the Freedom Trail. Mm-hmm. Right, 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 the Freedom Trail. I yes. didn't think of it myself. <laughs> and we just did John Brown's final speech like two weeks ago in our Bridging the Gap segment. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. We are happy to hear that's going to happen. And if you shoot me that email, I'll start putting you in the contact with him. And feel I... free to share all the information that we have mentioned here. I sure will. Thank you guys so much. And keep up the thank, good thank work. Thank you for your call. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, so let's go ahead and get into our music break, right? Um, and when we come back on the other side, we're going to open up the lines. It's 515-605-9814, 515-605-9814. 
And uh, we want to hear from you if you have something to say. If not, we're going to get into the news. What you're about to hear right now is Assembly Member Sydney Hamlidger Dove uh, out in California. Uh, she's speaking about ACA3, which is their bill to end slavery. And that will be teamed with The Revolution Will Be Televised by Jeff Beck with vocals by Rosie Bones. You're listening to Abolition Today. We'll be right back after this. Abolition, Abolition. Abolition. Martin Luther King said that every society has its protectors of the status quo and its fraternities of the indifferent who are notorious for sleeping through the revolution. And on this 10th day of Black History Month, I'm here to tell you why Wednesday that the revolution will be televised in the form of ACA3. So check this out. Article 1, Section 6 of the Constitution of the State of California states that both slavery and involuntary servitude are prohibited except for the punishment of a crime. Therefore, neither slavery nor involuntary servitude have been abolished, just conditions. And the folks that reap the rewards are the prisons who continue to incarcerate our people over and over and over again. So California, are you ready for the revolution? Because it's for
Assemblymember Sydney Kamlager Dove speak about ACA, which is the uh, Assembly Constitutional Amendment Number Three, uh, introduced by Assemblymember Kamlager on December 18, 2020, and it passed the uh, Legislative Council, and so it's going to be put before the people. So you just heard her speaking about it, followed by the revolution will be televised by Jeff Beck with vocals by Rosie Bones. And, you know, hearing Jeff Beck, man, I want to go listen to the Yardbirds and some Led Zeppelin right now, man. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> Yo, big shout-out to Jamelia Land and uh, yes. Sammy Brown. Uh, Sammy Brown. Two, right? Uh, both of which has been guests here on Abolition Today, and Jamelia is a core member of founding member of the Abolish Slavery National Network. And uh, she's been behind all of this work, her and her husband. And it's just amazing to, to hear that California's about to end slavery. I mean, come on, y'all. Somebody pop some bubbly on this, you know? You know? <laughs> it, it, it's, it's, it's beautiful. And the song was hot. The, you know, the fire. We got to bring the fire here and have swag with this. Um, right. I was a t- telling a friend not too long ago that the subject matter that we touch on can cause depression. It, it can get pretty sad when you when you're very much aware of a genocide and slavery, which is a crime against humanity. It can weigh heavily on you, and so we mix it all sometimes a little humor. You know, like back when we had that track that played uh, "Take Our Black Asses Out of Here" from the Boondocks. Right. <laughs> <laughs> If we'd known like you all this. were going to be this much trouble, we would have picked our own fucking cotton. <laughs> you know, right, sometimes right. we have to keep playing it to remind it. You know, as as Brenda was speaking, who just called in from Kansas, I'm thinking, you know, that Brenda, these are the type yeah. of people that she has to deal with on a daily basis. People that yeah. make comments like that. It, it can be a lonely life. Uh, if you remember the statistics in 1850. Uh, 5% of the population were slavery abolitionists, professed slavery abolitionists. Only 5%. Uh, then right. it got to the point right before the Civil War where 45% of the uh, nation were anti-slavery. Still just 5% were abolitionists. And then the mm-hmm. other 50% were pro-slavery. Uh, so so look, when you talk about... I was just going to pose the question to you based on those statistics because you said professed. So you think it's because of the uh, what would happen or what was happening to many abolitionists back then that more people didn't come forward? Or do you think that they just weren't with it? I think it's a mixture of both. Uh, at one point, even to speak about abolition in South Carolina and other states like it was illegal. 
uh, you could go to prison just for talking about it. It wasn't allowed to be spoken of in the Congress. It wasn't allowed to be spoken of in the street. Uh, and there was very few uh, people on earth that were more hated in the South than slavery abolitionists. So, you know, there was that fear that you would get lynched or shot or put into prison if you talked about it because they would automatically assume you also worked with Underground Railroad, which was stealing their property and costing them, you know, fortunes and so, so on and so forth. Uh, what you were really doing was humane and helping people get their damn freedom, but that's not how they would be. Right. You know? And then I also think that there was people who, although they were sickened by slavery and the conditions of slavery, didn't want mm-hmm. to go to the level where they would fight against it. And so they were anti-slavery in, you know, just their stance on it. If something came up they could vote on, they might be counted on to be able to vote towards that favor. Uh, but, but I don't see them as going to the next level going, I want to really end slavery. It's done. You know, you have people who own slavery, owns, own the enslaved people who were themselves abolitionists, <laughs> you know, right. abolitionists owning slaves. <laughs> right. It was just really crazy. And just looking at the history, and that's why when we had the Millions for Prisoners Human Rights March back in 2017, or was that 2016? I don't recall the year. Time goes so fast now. But just the fact that here we are, you know, they shut down the streets for us in D.C. for us to march through the streets yelling in slavery. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, where, you know, a hundred years earlier, we could have been, you know, all would have been snatched up and taken off and hung. They would have taken us right across the Potomac River into Virginia, you know, so they can blame it on the South, you know, and hung us. So, yeah. yeah well, we, we kind of <laughs> got away with it. But also, you remember, it wasn't in slavery that they started chanting. It was it was a core, a core group of abolitionists in the Symptoms. middle of the march <laughs> that we were there. Yeah. It was like me and, and, and a few others that were there and we just traveled, of course, and we started yelling over it because they were saying in mass incarceration, about yeah, all the incarceration. Right. And I'm like, how do you even do that? You can't abolish mass incarceration. This shit ain't even illegal. <laughs> There's no right. law against mass incarceration. Mass incarceration could be doubled, it could be tripled, it could be quadrupled, and there is no laws or policies that say, you know, that's too many people you're putting in prison. Well, you heard, with, again, referring back to Brenda. She said when they went in and they wanted to see, you know, what was going on in the prison, their solution was build more prisons, get more beds. That was their solution. That was their solution. Not let people go who have been in 30, 40, 50 years, not to reexamine some of these unjust uh, convictions, so wrongfully convicted, not to look back at the, for instance, the Jim Crow laws with the 10 and 2 and 11 and 2 out in Louisiana, where they were sending people to prison for the rest of their life with 10 jurors, uh, four and two against. Like, how do you even do that? Right. You know, like you only needed to right. count 10 white people. Is that that's what it was? And that's what it was. And that's what, and that's, what, that's exactly what it was. That's what the U.S. Supreme Court recognized it as. And ironically, mm-hmm. Oregon was one. It was the other state. It was Louisiana, and it was Oregon. And Oregon. Mm-hmm. And, That's right. And on the heels of that, you see Oregon is pushing heavy. I mean, Oregon has passed legislation to where uh, they're gonna decriminalize all drugs. <laughs> you know, they're gonna allow prisoners to vote. And the senator from Oregon is pushing for the 28th Amendment to repeal and replace the exception clause of the 13th Amendment. So that's that's just tremendous growth and development. And, and it, grow, it grew from 
modest means, as you mentioned earlier, Max. It wasn't mm-hmm. like we had like, you know, any of the big speakers of the past, like a Malcolm or a Martin out here leading the charge. This is just, you know, many people whose names won't even be in the in the uh, annals of history as time goes on. So it's and, tremendous that it's happening like that. And the bugle hasn't really even been blown yet. You know what I mean? Like the big guns right. haven't stepped into the game. You know, we, we haven't brought them out yet. Uh, that's going right. to happen sometime around August when we celebrate our first year of the ASNN out in Colorado. Mm-hmm. And we'll be only three months away from the November elections with seven uh, different states on the ballot. So the big guns right. are going to come out then. You'll be hearing from people like probably Michelle Alexander and, and uh, Angela Davis and uh, all these other advocates still working to dismantle the prison industrial complex will uh, very likely start adopting this as a potential solution as parts of the solution. It's all parts. Yeah. We've got to play all the parts, <laughs> you know? Right. That's That's natural progression. And that's why I'm glad you named the show Parts of the Solution, that it's not mm-hmm. the entire solution, because we know that we're dealing with uh, multiple heads, and there are different avenues that are, that are, that are going to have to happen. For instance, uh, I don't know if you – I think you, pre- you presented the article. I saw it where the those in prison – in one particular prison, I don't recall the state, but they were making several complaints about their conditions and everything. And so since nothing was going to be done, their resolution was, you know what, let's take this place over, <laughs> you know? So, you know, it's yeah, solution I, I know time. what you're talking about. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's actually, solution time. Yeah. It was a jail in St. Louis that the conditions were so inhumane that they had been subject to, including the overcrowding in the midst of a pandemic, uh, that they were afraid they were going to die. People are dying. Like, 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 who hasn't lost a parent or a brother or a sister or a nephew or pastor or or friend? Who hasn't? Uh, people are dying outside and inside is just a big petri dish. Like, you know, the, the, the protocols to be uh, ensuring people's lives are just not in play. We talked about last week where one of the prisons brought. Prisoners that they knew were infected to another prison and then caused one of the biggest outbreaks in, in the whole prison system. Um, mm. So, yeah, this was a jail in St. Louis where they took over the, the the jail itself. And I'm looking at a picture of them right now with them uh, holding signs and burning things, throwing it out the window. Uh, free us. Uh, free, free us all. Free me. <laughs> like, right. Project Free Wish TV, you know, like it's a death sentence. As the representative of Texas said, while I was on the discussion with her in Savannah, uh, the, the representative of Texas said that every sentence in Texas is a potential death sentence. It's for life. Mm. <laughs> you know, it's it, 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 wow. it right now. Because if you're putting somebody behind bars right now during a pandemic and it, it's already overcrowded, it's almost sentencing them to death. It's there's a chance it's gonna happen. And imagine if you're going for some BS. Like I said, more people was arrested for personal possession of marijuana than all violent crimes combined. Imagine you got caught in South Carolina with twenty dollars worth of weed, and now you you die of COVID because you know that's right what the punishment is for twenty dollars worth of weed to put you in a position where you could potentially die. You know, Max, there's one particular article that. 
I'd like for us to cover. I know you've uh, been speaking about it a lot, and I'd like to hear, you know, your your take on it. It's uh, Denver program? successfully, yes, yeah. Denver successfully sent mental health professionals, not police, to hundreds of calls. Yeah, that's a that's a good one. You want me to uh, cover some of it? Is that what you're saying? Sure. Or sure. are you going to? Oh no, I mean you presented it. I I, I just briefly read oh, over yeah, it. Oh yeah, yeah. It's and, another part of the solution for sure. It's definitely, and it's right. wonderful to see. You know, we're talking about real human lives. You know, the people are dying, like literally dying in this system while we try to make up our minds what we're going to do about it. Uh, but the star system is something that seems to be uh, the answer to the uh, people who are saying, you know, uh, let's let's defund the police. So the star program, which launched in June, reported promising results in its six-month progress report. The program aims to provide a person-centric mobile crisis response to community members who are experiencing problems related to mental health, depression, poverty, homelessness, or substance abuse issues. And Denver is among several U.S. cities working to develop an alternative emergency responder model for people who are experiencing mental health crisis. As police officers fatally shoot hundreds of people experiencing mental health crisis every year. According to the Washington Post database of fatal shootings by on-duty police officers, since 2015, police have fatally shot nearly 1,400 people with mental illnesses, according to the database. So over the first six months of the pilot, Denver received more than 2,500 emergency calls that fell into the STAR program's purview. And the STAR team was able to respond to 748 calls. And no calls mm-hmm. required the assistance of police, and no one was arrested. Uh, that's mm. amazing, man. That's 748 people that didn't even have the chance to be murdered in their future right. then. You know what I mean? Because there was nobody there with a gun that would just blow you away if you, if you did something wrong. Uh, and they were met by professionals who can deal with the crises that go beyond crimes. Which you know, addiction, depression, you know these types of things, right. mental health crises. You need professionals to do that. So, I think it's a beautiful thing. I would be happy personally if police never got in their car to go look around anywhere. If the only time they ever call, came out is when somebody called them, and in any other instance, right. you are calling specifically for certain uh, professionals outside of the police because we're using the police for every damn thing. Exactly. So shout out <laughs> and, to that, and that's Denver. part of the problem. That's part of the problem, and that's why we, this is part of the solutions. And it's and while and while we're on the while we're on the uh, subject of police, I came across an interesting article as well. It's uh, Maryland considers allowing civilians to see police misconduct records. Police union complains that cops' privacy will be exposed, and this is uh, reported by the Washington Post. It says state legislatures on Tuesday will hear arguments regarding a bill that would repeal some protections under Maryland's notorious law enforcement bill of rights, which allows police officers in the state to have a five-day waiting period before having to cooperate with internal investigators probing incidents of misconduct and also stipulates that only other cops, not civilians, can access complaint records against officers. And so, not to read the entire article, but there's one particular officer that is part of the uh, Greensboro Police Department in Maryland, where this officer 
Uh, do they even mention the officer's name? Webster, Thomas Webster the fourth. Uh, he's he's the uh, officer who tased the young gentleman by the name of Anton Black who died after the uh, incident. And come to find out, Webster had 30 use of force reports against him prior to being hired by the Greensboro Police Department. So this is why they're saying, look, you know, we have to do something about this because you can't just have these cops being able to, you know, abuse people's rights and then they may, you know, they're able to stay out on the streets and just keep collecting these use of force reports and other disciplinary offenses. And of course, the Fraternal Order of Police pushed back, you know, saying that the legislation to increase the public's understanding of how their offices operate, including by launching a PR campaign that uh, prominently featured black cops. And, you know, they were saying having civilians having access to police records is, is like uh, having the public take part in the soldier's court martial. Of course, you know, they just went way left with it. You know, and they they make it, you know, they played the victim because they say we have a right, you know, where our police officers are not unfairly treated. You know, so uh, I think this would be a good solution because we see the successes that uh, the CCRB in New York's uh, Civilian Complaint Review Board has, you know, gotten a lot of uh, leeway in a lot of these cases investigating police officers. So they need accountability. I mean, anytime a person has authorization to kill someone, there should be higher scrutiny on this individual, higher scrutiny, you know, not some, you know, uh, internal review and they do what makes the department look good, you know, so there has to be accountability and I like this. I think this is another solution, and I think it ties right in with the previous article about the STAR program out in Denver. What do you think about that, Max? I think that you covered it pretty well, and you're right. It sounds like it's part of the solution to me. Um, we've got a few of them running around here. You know, uh, just this past Friday, the Virginia House of Delegates passed their landmark piece of bipartisan legislation to abolish the death penalty in the state. With the most executions in American history Virginia is doing that They're abolishing uh, the death penalty And uh, I, personally we've had, we've had this discussion here on Abolition Today We did a two-part series Just on mm-hmm. the Eighth Amendment alone The Eighth Amendment The Eighth Amendment alone, right And uh, my position And I say that specifically My position Is that the United States Because of its history Of racism and bias and genocide and slavery is in no position to choose who lives or dies. I don't care what kind of court you create, because we see how your courts roll with 10 and 2. So you can get 10 people, white people to testify or to be uh, the juries for one black person. And we've seen that throughout the states, you know, the racism that's uh, rampant in your courts, the Sixth Amendment violations where you're not allowed a trial or competent lawyers and things like that. So I just don't think that they're capable of deciding in any way, shape, or form who lives or dies. So there shouldn't be any uh, death penalty. And what is more of what is the worst possible cruel and unusual punishment you could administer upon someone is to kill them. (laughs) Right, Max. Right. And you know, uh, I neglected to read something earlier, and I want to read this. This is from. I believe she's an assembly woman in New Jersey. 
I don't I don't recall her exact title. Her name is Angela uh, V. McKnight, and she said that uh, it was an honor to be a part of the Abolish Slavery National Network virtual gathering meeting. It was mm-hmm. great to see so many legislators from across the states, their staff, and advocates talking about their work on the on Amend 13th. Here in New Jersey, I am the proud sponsor of ACR 145, which will amend the Constitution to pro- prohibit slavery or involuntary servitude. As I had and continue to say, we need to end all parts of slavery. I once again thank Dennis Febo, shout out to Dennis, our brother, for bringing this matter to my attention and working productively to make this happen. Let's end slavery together. And again, that's from Angela V. McKnight, uh, Assembly, I believe it's Assemblywoman Angela V. McKnight yes. uh, from New Assembly Jersey. Member. Exactly. Yeah. Power to uh, Assembly Member Angela McKnight and to Brother Dennis Febo for making this happen. You know, they were among the earliest in the uh, push to create a national organization. Uh, so it, I think it, Dennis played a key role, as a matter of fact, by literally going to uh, Colorado after they did their thing there and talking with them and filming, you know, and then right. getting his things together for New Jersey and, and helping to form as a founding member of the ASNN. So shout out to him and uh, Sister McKnight. Awesome. Especially my yes. home state, New Jersey. Come on, exactly. Jersey. Now, New Jersey it's, it's... and South Carolina. Right. Now, ACR 145, is that on the ballot this year or next year? Um, I believe, and I'm not the expert at this point, though I should be, <laughs> uh, I believe it's for next year. So uh, I believe it's got to, still got to go through a couple more committees. Uh, but we can always get Dennis to let us know, and I can get the information for next week uh, and break it down for you. As a matter of fact, we've just got a couple of interns that have – been assigned to us so that they can get these things together for us. We're going to start focusing on the seven states that have legislation, so we need to know all the details, who's who, what we need to do. And we also made a connection with Surge, which is standing up for racial justice, and they're going to take on uh, the cause of the slavery abolitionists and help us with that. Uh, so that's that, that's amazing. I'm looking forward to that, too, uh, this collaboration with Surge. And other organizations, if you want to help with the ASNN, you represent an organization and you're like, you know, it's coming up on the time when you got to decide what you're going to do that year, what your focus is going to be on. We're a great cause. Help us end slavery. <laughs> you know what I mean? If you right. can write letters, send emails, do phone zaps, uh, just help us to get uh, data, uh, mining some data or putting together some research materials, anything. We can use the help. Sign up at the website. Uh, abolish slavery dot us. Huh. All right, right, brother. Um, we got a couple of more news pieces, but I like to take a a music break. What do you think? That sounds good to me. Uh, that sounds good. What are you That's feeling? Because I, I I loaded a lot of tracks. I was looking through them, but you know I had put the the uh, be free a little earlier. I wouldn't mind playing that unless you had something you prefer over that. No, by all means, by all means, play that. All right. I so, love that know, track too. Yeah, this, I mean, this is raw as it gets. This is where we're coming from. You're listening to Abolition Today with Yusuf Hassan and Max Sparks. We'll be right back. Abolition, Abolition. Today.
and I'm in denial And it don't take no x-ray to see right through my smile I know I'll be on the go There ain't no drink out there that can numb my soul Oh no All we want to do is take the chains off all we want to do is break the chains off. All we want to do is be free. All we want to do is be free. All we want to do is take the chains off. All we want to do is break the chains off. All we want to do is break the chains All we want to do is Can you tell me why? Every time I step outside, I see my niggas die. Accountability, you know, and he said, "Hey, 
The cop took the shot. My friend turned around. He was surrendering, and the cop killed him anyway. Man. No accountability. See? No accountability. We got a caller on the line I want to bring in. So, uh, 3251, you are here with us on Abolition Today. Uh, What's your name and question or comment? Hey, Matt. It's uh, Sean Darrell calling. How are you? Hey, Hey, Sean. What's up, Sean? Yeah, I gave you a shout out earlier, man, for introducing me to Queen Mother. I um, I appreciate that. I um, I was listening to um, another um, episode of, I think, from last season about um, about, uh, math and oppression. Um, from what was it? Uh, um, his last name was Sims, I believe. Jonathan Sims. Jonathan Sims, yes. right. <laughs> yeah. Right. The mathematics yeah, of was, oppression. Yeah. 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 So yeah the mathematics me, of oppression got mm-hmm. me thinking. Um, I talked talked to Max about um about Joy James, and she wrote um about um something similar about how Americans um since 9/11 talk about death and war in shorthand, and I was just kind of thinking about how that applies to our definition of terrorism and how um, we talk about like the Charleston nine or like um, the Donaldson four kind of like how that almost dehumanizes the events and what happens to, um, to black Americans or African Americans and how we kind of just kind of represent, how we represent things is important. Um, I don't know if making any sense at all. No, you're making sense. You're talking about the human cost as well. Like these are human mm-hmm. beings, human lives. Somebody loves them. The four brothers in Alabama mm-hmm. that was assaulted by the prison guards had families and daughters and mothers and fathers. Mm-hmm. And you attacked mm-hmm. one brother with a freaking axe. One of the co-hosts of our programs here on Abolition Today, live from the plantation, hit him in the head with a freaking cleaver. When did a a, a, a correctional officer get a cleaver in his toolkit? Uh, but that's right. what he hit him in the head with. Uh, mm-hmm. Broke ribs, beat him so bloody, and then dragged mm-hmm. him out the cage that they were in in his own blood across the ground, and then beat another man who has no family to help him at all. Like there's nobody on the outside for him. He is a literally alone, and he has mental illnesses. And they beat mm-hmm. him almost to death. They had to air mm-hmm. uh, take him out of the helicopter to the hospital because of it. So mm-hmm. yeah, man, we ha- there's, there's a human cost. These are people, man. These are, these are people that we're even, um, I guess what I was trying to, to say is that like how we represent these massacres just in kind of like we just assign numbers to them. Do you know what I mean? Like almost like yeah. we assign inmates with numbers and we assign these massacres with numbers and how that in itself can be dehumanizing and doesn't it kind of like um reductionistic, <laughs> you know? You know Right how we even talk about it, you know, like we assign it with numbers and it just You know what should collapses. never exist what should never exist is prison graveyards. They're mm-hmm. everywhere. There shouldn't be mm-hmm. shouldn't be no such a thing as, as a prison graveyard. You were sent to prison, you died in prison, you were buried in prison and you got disposable human beings. That is just a stain on our entire nation to have mm-hmm. things like yeah. prison graveyards. And many of those uh, were former plantations where they worked people to death, like out in Texas and Sugar Land. Oh, my goodness. Um, yeah, it's, it it's just amazing. It so also reminds me, me how we um... – oh, go ahead. I don't, we, we got about five minutes, and then we got to do our, our you know, shout-outs to our sponsors and go into our final segment, which is uh, a big surprise and a treat today. But before we do that, I want to hear about your experience because you was at the meeting and you spoke there at – 
the yes. first quarterly for the AFNN, and you absorbed all of that. And then you're yes. also hearing the Queen for the first time today as well, I believe, in its entirety, at least the way we had it put together. Mm-hmm. So tell me what mm-hmm. you thought about all of that. Um, so I saw, actually, one of the reasons why I called in, because what you had said and what she had said about people being enslaved and not slaves, mm-hmm. like just trying to wrap my mind around how can I present this in a more humanistic way, you know, how to, how to even the way we talk about things, we have to make sure that we're grounding it in the sense of humanity. <laughs> Um, but also it's very good to, um, to be around fellow slavery abolitionists because, um, as you probably know, there's not, I mean, even though the movement's growing, there's not a lot of people to understand. Um, and I'm still learning, but people will understand the gravity of the situation, like how deep it goes, you know, it's good to be around people who understand it, who are fighting back against it. Yeah. The gravity of the situation is it's overwhelming sometimes when you think, that uh, we have more black men in cages here in the United States than the top five populated African nations do combined. Like, mm-hmm. they, like how is that even possible? Right. You know, one in three young but, black men uh, going to go to prison. Who tell, Who gets to tell their children that? We do. <laughs> mm-hmm. But also thinking that, you know, we can, we can um, think of the U.S. as a pariah, you know, and but we can also know that to make it more normalized, you know, we export those philosophies and those, you know, so the goal isn't to, if you try and shame the United States, the goal is to make us, to make it more normal globally, to kind of connect it to what you were saying earlier. So we have to be mm-hmm. careful of our strategies sometimes. We go, oh, you know, it's just the United States exceptionalism, whereas we're trying to make things like the norm globally, you know, so sometimes we just have to be careful of how we're framing things. Right. Yes, absolutely. I think you're absolutely right. You know, um, We've said this before, um, but there are people who have done horrible things in this country, uh, mm-hmm. worthy of punishment of some sort, justice for somebody's family, separation mm-hmm. from society just for pure necessity because they are just that bad. But there's right. countries that don't allow them to be any more than 21 years in there. Uh, there's no life sentences. Anybody can change after 21 years. We don't mm-hmm. even consider that a type of option. We throw people away for the rest of their lives. Sometimes mm-hmm. on the most menial things, you know, people, mm-hmm. a woman who stole a coat worth $159, life in prison. Guy steals a radio, mm-hmm. life in prison. Guy gets caught with weed, life in prison. It's, it's outrageous. It's, it's a human rights crisis of the highest order, and we call it a crime against humanity because it is. And I know mm-hmm. individually we don't think that our small contributions make a big difference, but there's 350 million people in this country, y'all. <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> like we got to look at things as a collective sometimes. For instance, right in the 10 happiest nations on earth, they ha- live an average of six years longer than U.S. citizens. So six years don't sound like a lot, right? Until you multiply it times 350 million people, then it's over two billion years. <laughs> like right. what? That's two billion years of life gone, lost, mm-hmm. wasted because you mm-hmm. did what? Because you couldn't keep up with the rest of the world? Because you didn't supply mm-hmm. health care? You just throw away two billion years of life? When you think of mm. in a collective way, you see that this is a horror of the highest order. Mm-hmm. How many people have ever been arrested in the United States total? That's a question I would like to know. How many bodies have physically been in yeah, and out of cages I'd, I'd love to know that. in the United States, at least since 1865? 
a whole number wow. not per year. Wow. It would be like stars wow. in the sky. And if you did it mm-hmm. uh, based on race, you would clearly see the discrimination mm-hmm. and race bias. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it is what it is, man. Let's go ahead and get into our final comments. Anything you want to say uh, before we get into our sponsors segment? Um, you talking to me, thing? Max, or Sean? No, to our caller, Sean. Oh, um, no, just thank you for doing what you're doing, and thank you for, you know, educating me and keeping me on track, you know, so I can, you know, move along, you know, ed- pass along education because there's a huge educational piece that goes along with this, but also to keep me inspired to knowing that, you know, change seems to be very much around the corner. So yeah. um, thank you for the work that you've done, and I'm glad to be a, honored to be a part of it to help yeah, push it no. forward. Definitely thank you for your continued support. I wish we had more time to get into the article that you posted earlier the week because we did have mm-hmm. it on, on the board, but we just don't have the time to discuss it. Uh, no, no worries. Students demand abolition coursework for colleges and universities, but hopefully oh, yeah. we can have that discussion in a future episode. Yeah, yeah there's some yeah. nuances in that that I wanted to talk about in detail. Maybe we'll do it next week. Cool. Thanks, guys. All right. Uh, Thanks, Sean. Sean. Yep. All right, so we're going to get into our final two segments. We're going to thank our sponsors and our guests and callers, of course, uh, and you, and give you some ideas of some things that you can do to help to make a change. And then tonight we have a special treat from you. Uh, we got a spoken word OG, uh, Cola Rump, who is going triple to Triple OG. <laughs> triple OG, yep. And he, <laughs> he is a Lifetime uh, Achievement Award winner from the Spoken Word Gala, and I know that by heart because I was there getting one with him when he got it. We, we received our awards together, you know, Lifetime Achievement Awards. Uh, brother has lent his voice to Frederick Douglass to read a speech that, to the best of my knowledge, has never been – there's no recording of it anywhere. I couldn't find any audio recording or video recording of this anywhere. So it may be the first time these words have been heard via the airwaves like this since they had been spoken, which is awesome. All right, so Yusuf? So I'd like to uh, thank our sponsors and our partners, Jailhouse Lawyers Speak, I Am We Ubuntu Prison Advocacy Network, Sema Urge, Quakers Uplifting Racial Justice, the Paul Cuffey Abolitionist Center, Prismatic Dreams, and the Black Talk Radio Network. Uh, I'd just like to say, remember to subscribe to our YouTube page for all the news, information, and music you hear on this program. We're at youtube.com slash abolition today. Also remember to join the movement uh, at abolishslavery.us to become part of the solution. Uh, inshallah, God willing, we'll be back on February 21st with another episode of Abolition Today. Don't forget to tune into Live from the Plantation on Thursday nights at 7 p.m. Central. And so, Max, uh, oh, okay. it's well, been a pleasure. Listen. We definitely would like to, I was going to say, we definitely have to give thanks to all of our callers, uh, Robert Hall. Sean Darling and Brenda, I forgot Brandlin. her last name, Brandlin. calling from Brandlin. 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 Yes. Brandy calling from Kansas. Uh, definitely a big shout out <laughs> to Senator Jeff Merkley, uh, the Queen Mother. I'm sorry, Queen, I can't pronounce your name the way Max does. Uh, and definitely to uh, Sydney, uh, Assembly Member uh, Sydney Kalmlaga Dove. You know, so it's been a great episode, Max. You know, definitely had uh, fun with this one, as we always do. 
Yes. Uh, one of our best ever because of the moment, you know, to hear these voices now, to know that, like Sean said, that uh, we got this big win right around the corner, and the only way we can screw it up is if we do it on purpose. <laughs> you know, <laughs> right. it's freedom, and everybody wants it. Uh, it's the beginning of the end. Slavery is legal. We're about to make it illegal. Uh, we could spend the next few years just thinking about what's going to happen after that. I mean, you don't need to ask. Think about it. <laughs> you know, say right. to yourself slowly, what, uh, how will ending slavery help me get freedom? <laughs> just say it to mm. yourself slowly. How will ending slavery help me get freedom? And you understand. Uh, because this is the beginning of that door. That door is opened up. The light's on the other side. All we got to do is get together and walk through. And when we come out on the other side, it's a brand new world where new things are going to start happening. All right. So with that said, I want to thank everybody like you did, brother. Uh, appreciate your calls. Shout out to the ASNN, the Abolish Slavery National Network, mm-hmm. and AbolishSlavery.us. Please go there and sign up on the mailing list so you can stay in the loop about what's going on. Uh, we're predicting the future. Go ahead and watch it. <laughs> uh, we're going to get into our final segment. Uh, Cola Rum reads Frederick Douglass, 1860 speech on the Constitution, Part 1, the Declaration of Independence, sung by the Fifth Dimension, will be followed after that. Uh, so until next week, think about abolition today. Peace. Peace. Abolition. Abolition. Today. Proceed today. to the discussion. And first, a word about the question. Much will be gained at the outset if we fully and clearly understand the real question under discussion. Indeed, nothing is or can be understood. This are often confounded and treated as the same, for no better reason than that they resemble each other. Even while they are in their nature and character totally distinct and evenly directly opposed to each other, This jumbling of things is a sort of dust throwing, which is often indulged in by small men who argue for victory rather than for truth. Thus, for instance, the American government and the American Constitution are spoken of in a manner which would naturally lead the hearer to believe that one is identical with the other, when the truth is they are distinct in character as a ship and a compass. The one may point right and the other still wrong. The one may point right and the other still wrong. A chart is one thing. The course of the vessel is another. The Constitution may be right. The government is wrong. If the government has been governed by mean, sordid, and wicked passions, it does not follow that the Constitution is mean, sordid, and wicked. What then is the question? I will state it. But first, let me state what is not the question. It is not whether slavery existed in the United States at the time of the adoption of the Constitution. It is not whether slaveholders took part in the framing of the Constitution. It is not whether those slaveholders in their hearts intended to secure certain advantages in that instrument for slavery. It is not whether the American government has been wielded during 72 years in favor of the propagation and permanence of slavery. It is not whether a pro-slavery interpretation has been put upon the Constitution by the American courts. All these points may be true or they may be false. They may be accepted or they may be rejected without in any wise affecting the real question in debate. 
the real and exact question between myself and the class of persons representing by the speech at City Hall may be fairly stated thus. First, does the United States Constitution guarantee to any class or description of people in that country the right to enslave or hold as property any other class or description of people in that country? Second, is the dissolution of the union between the slave and freed states required by fidelity to the slaves or by the just demands of conscience? Or, in other words, is the refusal to exercise the elective franchise and to hold office in America the surest, wisest, and best way to abolish slavery in America? To these questions, the Garrisonians say yes. They hold the Constitution to be a slaveholding instrument and will not cast or vote or hold office and denounce all who vote or hold office, no matter how faithfully such persons labor to promote the abolition of slavery. I, on the other hand, deny that the Constitution guarantees the right to hold property in man and believe that the way to abolish slavery in America is to vote such men into power as well use their powers for the abolition of slavery. This is the issue plainly stated, and you shall judge between us. Before we examine into the disposition, tendencies, and character of the Constitution, I think we had better ascertain what the Constitution itself is. Before looking for what it means, let us see what it is. Here, too, there's much dust to be cleared away. What, then, is the Constitution? I will tell you. It is not even like the British Constitution, which is made up of enactments of parliament, decisions of courts, and the established usages of government. The American Constitution is a written instrument full and complete in itself. No court in America, no Congress, no president can add a single word thereto or take a single word thereto. It is a great national enactment done by the people and can only be altered, amended, and added to by the people. I am careful to make this statement here. In America, it would not be necessary. It would not be necessary here if my assailant had shown the same desire to be set before you the simple truth which he manifested to make out a good case for himself and friends. Again, it should be borne in mind that the mere text, and only the text, and not any commentaries or creeds written by those who wish to give the text a meaning apart from its plain reading, was adopted as the Constitution of the United States. It should also be borne in mind that the intentions of those who framed the Constitution, be they good or bad, for slavery or against slavery, are so respected so far or so far only as we find those intentions plainly stated in the Constitution. It would be the wildest of absurdities and lead to the endless confusions and mischiefs if instead of looking to the written paper itself for its meaning, if we're attempted to make us search it out in the secret motives and dishonest intentions of some of the men who took part in writing it. It was what they said that was adopted by the people, not what they were ashamed or afraid to say and really omitted to say. Bear in mind also, and the fact is an important one, that the framers of the Constitution set with doors closed and that this was done purposely, that nothing but the results of their labor should be seen. 
and that that result should be judged uh, by the people free from any of its biases shown in the debates. It should also be borne in mind, and the fact is still more important, that the debates in the convention that framed the Constitution, and by means of which pro-slavery interpretation is now attempted to be forced upon that instrument, were not published till more than a quarter of a century after the presentation and the adoption of the Constitution. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable
abolition, abolition, abolition. Today, when we'll have as our guest his great 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 grandson Kenneth B. Morris Jr., who will be joining us on Abolition Today on February 21st. Uh, make sure you tune in. Abolition Today, 